0: I'm Jason van Medding.
1: And I'm Ksenia Čmutina.
0: Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed podcast.
1: Hey, hi Jason. Hey. Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Disasters Deconstructed. Well, this week we are continuing to look at the way that stories and narratives shape our understanding of risk and disasters. And we're also going to frame our discussion around the very important aspect of disaster studies research and practice. So this idea of community participation, what what a task to unpack these two very contested terms.
0: Yeah, it really is. And um, we're so happy today to be joined by Santina Contreras. Hi, Santina.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Hi. Thanks so much for being with us. For anyone who doesn't know her yet, Santina is an assistant professor in the city and regional planning section of the Knowlton School of Architecture at The Ohio State University. Her research and teaching focuses on the intersection of natural hazards, urban planning, and international development. So Santina, we are so excited to speak to you today. Your field of expertise working with systemically oppressed communities. Um, seems to lend itself really well to what we want to discuss, which is the idea of participation. So what do you mean when you talk about participation? Like many of the concepts we discuss in disaster studies, it's a word and an idea that can be used in different ways. So how do we avoid it being a device that the powerful use in order to check a box or something saying that the community was involved?
2: So that's a great question. Uh, for me, it's it's actually a little bit loaded. Um, and that's because I really feel like um, one of the biggest issues surrounding participation is, is exactly um, what you're pointing out, which is that there, are, there really is so much variation in perspectives of what participation even is. And so a lot of the work that I do focuses on really trying to understand how we're all thinking about this more broadly um, in an attempt to try to really break down what we mean when we're advocating or requiring participation um, what sort of actions and activities should we be considering and really how the various parties that are involved the researchers the practitioners the local communities how they're all conceptualizing what we all sort of broadly categorize as participatory um, because of the fact that it has been interpreted so many ways Um, but all that being said in my work I'm specifically looking at external entities, so NGOs, other sorts of organizations and institutions that are working on projects or programs in communities surrounding hazard events um, or in uh, just generally in the global south. And so pretty frequently in this work, these groups are initiating some sort of effort to involve local community members Um, from the area in their organizational activities. And so for the purposes of my work, when I'm talking about participation, I'm broadly looking at any sort of effort where organizations are involving local communities in some way. Now, that's not to say that all these activities meet my personal sort of understanding or um, ideas about what I think participation should be. Um, So I definitely don't want to give the impression that I think all participation is created equal Mm -hmm. um, because, as you pointed out, there are these really wide variations in the types of activities that are being carried out under this participation umbrella. And so I've seen everything from the inclusion of community members in the high ranks of the organization and being actively involved in the decision-making process um, to the total opposite end, where organizations are sort of considering any surface level or physical task involvement as participation so I pretty much look at all these sorts of things um, to try to make better sense of what's going on in this space.
0: How do you affect change in that space where some organizations are doing it with a certain agenda to tick a box um, and there's a much better way to do participation?
2: Yeah so the participation as a checkbox is another really big one (laughs) because, because, you know, so there's this widespread acceptance that, you know, we all sort of understand we shouldn't be using a top-down approach and we have to include local communities in our hazards, in our development projects. And so this message has become, you know, pretty universal, so much so that we see all of these organizations and governments and others in these positions of power sort of falling in line and attempting to reflect that larger sentiment by including these requirements or measures for participation in their programs, their grants, you know, really any sort of reporting or discussion of their activities. And so we're sort of in the situation where every everyone knows that they have to say that they're doing it. Um, and I think that there can be um, a lot of different variations of how much strategy and manipulation is going into that box checking process. So, you know, you have some groups that, you know, might, really just not understand what it means and what they should be doing to encourage real participation. Um, But on the other end, you have, you know, very much so people in positions of power that are using this as a tool with no real interest of actually empowering communities. So it's obviously like a really big issue that requires a lot of effort to improve. Um, But I think for me, there's some, there's some big problems to sort of think about and one of them is particularly around thinking about like the activities that are happening when those boxes are getting checked and so that for me is sort of a large area of work of thinking about what sort of activities are happening um, not just when we say we're doing participation but what are people actually doing um, that is sort of qualifying that they're sort of considering in that space um, i think is a big part of of trying to separate what's going on in that conversation
1: said this before that pretty much everyone is doing participation you know well um, that that is questionable of course and there's quite a lot of narrative right we see more and more in how participation is described and sort of is related to Um, but do you sometimes think that some of the narratives around participation actually pretty harmful in the way they describe the process and the outcomes you know should we be able to tell better stories about participation
2: yes yes so very much so so um, I really agree with the point there's a lot of narratives sort of happening surrounding participation um, a a lot of which actually can be a, a little problematic and so since I work with a lot of organizations a lot of the stories I hear around participation often focus on How organizations are doing something for the community, right? Mm. So they're always somehow doing something to help. They're giving them this opportunity to grow. They're offering them training so that they can, you know, lead better lives. Things of this nature, and so it often still has this sentiment of organizations doing something, you know, to save in some sense the community. You know, we've lost this. We know we don't want to say, you know, top down, but there's still this. very uh unclear power dynamic around a lot of these activities and so the benefits often are only described in this sort of one-dimensional one way um where we're doing this to benefit the community and never really any mention of what we actually might be getting out of this and um so this is really harmful right because there continues to be this the huge the huge power balance exists continues to exist um, where the organization is still sort of the one controlling the process, um, and the in com- the community is sort of seen as passive receivers, really doesn't get us anywhere towards uh, what we're trying to accomplish to make things more deeply engaged. It sort of, you know, in a lot of ways, de- de- a lot of ways defeats the purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are some other things, but that you know, that's that's the biggest.
1: And, you know, this is, I think, closely related to what we've discussed in one of the episodes in the first season when JC Geilard was talking about capacities and actually kind of the ethical dilemma of us uh, building, in quotation mark, you know, developing capacity and also the kind of these ideas of participation. So when you've just said that very often these narratives are about community benefiting from something that these organizations do but nobody really asks community whether they wanted those benefits so how you know w- w- what do you think should be a story of participation what it is we need to tell and that we're not telling now
2: so for me one of the the biggest things um you know that i think again a lot of these things seem obvious but really emphasizing the the how important they really are and what we're trying to achieve is um thinking much more clearly about the role of community empowerment and particularly the voice of the community, right? And so something that I'm really focused on um, and I look at a lot in my work is sort of thinking about the role of choice in participation, right? And so are community members even asked how they wanna participate? You know, is there an option to not participate? Do they get a say in different sorts of phases of the project, you know, there's, a big area that's not well discussed in terms of thinking about the ways participation changes and or varies throughout different phases of a project, right? And so, you know, again, back to that question of checking the box over the course of a project um, around, you know, surrounding a hazard or just in the development sector, these last really long times. And so to be able to just say you did participation and sort of what that means at one instance in time is, is sort of crazy, right, to think about how long we're doing work, all the different sorts of activities that are involved. And so, you know, on one level, just breaking down what that means, when are people doing things, um, mm. and how, but then also um, the level of empowerment that individuals that are engaging with these groups get throughout those different phases. And so I think sort of moving towards incorporating those sorts of questions, um, and those sorts of ideas really helps... Um, Push us in the direction that we want to go in terms of giving more control and freedom to communities in the process so that it doesn't again just come from our directive and sort of our um, assumption that we know what's best because oftentimes mm-hmm. i think we've probably had a lot of examples of these that that's never really the case and so um, those i think sort of push us towards getting that information that we want or we really need
0: And I think this definitely brings to mind the conversations we've had in the past about the manifesto and the power imbalances between North and South and the ways that we can combat that. So I think another thing there is, is just that sense of, I guess, entitlement or superiority. And definitely, Santina, you were talking about the way that we see communities as needing help or being weak. And I think that's another thing that we've previously covered on the podcast. Um, when we talk about certainly capacities or about vulnerability, it can it can be kind of weaponized against people who we intentionally or unintentionally kind of dominate or disempower, you know?
2: Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because um, it's sort of what becomes sort of fascinating or troubling. I don't really know the right word to use, but... Um, you know, the whole idea behind sort of engaging in these activities is to potentially avoid that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it sort of becomes another way of, you know, recircling the same process. And so, so like I said, there's, um, I think it's, you know, it's only fair to sort of, you know, continue to acknowledge the, the different ways that that happens, um, you know, in the field, because, you know, I definitely don't want to you know, only cast blame in terms of um, the sort of the very, very manipulative, manipulative versions of this, because there are these cases where there is just sort of less insight into what's happening, which still oftentimes has the same results. And so that's not to absolve anyone from not needing to do that. Um, but sort of um, thinking about the ways just because we started to use or absorb more positive or a certain type of language, um, doesn't mean that we fix the problem, right? We're just sort of doing the same thing under the mask of a new terminology. And um, which, as you know, you've so kindly pointed out, I think we we sort of love to do, right? This um, love or hate to do this this whole, um, you know, language, terminology, the rhetoric conversation, I think is, is very, very... All the conversations that you've been having is very connected to this, right? Where, yeah. um, you know, everything... Similar to like with vulnerability and resilience and all of these things, um, we absorb them um, oftentimes without really thinking about what it means in action, what we actually, are, are we all speaking the same language? Do we refer to the same things? What that actually means for communities? And it just sort of becomes a catch-all, um, which for me oftentimes sort of becomes this, um, it means everything and nothing all at once. <laughs> and so what you um as I, don't know, I don't think that any of us are you know, about to sort of scratch the words altogether, but how do we use them in a way that actually is going to move us towards positive change um, versus the acceptance that just because you said it or you're claiming to do it, that in itself counts, that it's, it's actually making a positive impact.
1: I kind of sometimes think that we're, we, it's not just that we absorb words, but we sort of hide behind them. You know, and I sometimes feel that we don't understand ourselves what it is we're trying to say. So it's so easy to say, oh, you know, participation of resilient communities or something like that, right? Sounds so good. Um, but nobody knows what that means.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's totally true because I think a lot of what you see, it also, I think, um, sometimes functions as this um, sort of ability to, um, I guess, kind of as you describe, like cover up in some ways, um, lack of information or knowledge about, you know, what. Is really a well-informed um, development process or well-informed way to go about doing this work, um, because, you know, you heard or you know, however you you came to the conclusion, you know that if you that the right thing to say is this word, and so by using it, it triggers that you're doing the right thing, and so I've had countless conversations with groups where they're saying. Um, what they're supposed to say, we use a very engaged process, we are very participatory, but mm. within seconds, they're, what they're describing that they're doing um, is, you know, potentially not that, right? Not what you, we would think of that, mm. but, they, but they either intentionally know that saying that will sort of mask that or without even knowing, don't make the connection between what their actual activities may or may not be doing to further that word that they're describing it as.
0: So Santina, last year for the IREC conference, you responded with a, a piece for submitted to the conference, which was in a more journalistic style. And it was part of um, like an effort that we were making to communicate in different ways, to tell stories maybe that we don't get to tell through academic papers sometimes. And so I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on how we can use different ways of communicating and maybe... Reach, to meet, reach different audiences to tell more compelling stories and to talk about these um, empowering and emancipatory narratives in our about participation in particular in your case in, our, in the way we communicate about science
2: yeah that's that's a really great one so I um, really appreciated the opportunity to be able to um, work towards um, having an outlet to be able to communicate the work, the work that I do, the work that all of us are doing um, in these sorts of different sorts of avenues. I think it's Mm. really critical, particularly, again, because the space that I'm working in. um, Oftentimes, the the these people that are doing a lot of the heavy lifting in the work that we all do research about um, don't read the academic articles. Right. We all sort of, I think, know that pretty well. Right. They don't either have access. That's not. You know that's just not in their space to be deep in the literature, and so oftentimes one of the pushbacks I get in my work is, you know, we're over participation. That's we've you know we've been setting that for so many years, and sort of it's just it's exhaustive. You know, we're exhausted about it, Um, but that's not the space that the people oftentimes the people working in the field are in, right? Still in need of information, um, particularly around what they should be doing. You know, providing more um, specific Uh, details, information around ways that they can do their work better, you know, better practices, that sort of thing. And so um, that's another sort of assumption that I see quite a bit where, again, there are groups that are sort of choosing to not be informed, but I have had a lot of conversations um, with organizations that are eager to have access to these sorts of things that can, you know, it, who knows what they'll do with it, but, you know, can you share with me things that are, you know, tangible things that I can do to sort of improve the work that I do? And so I think if we really wanna think about making these big impacts and changing the way um, the work is happening, particularly around the types of things that are people that are doing with communities, we have to think seriously about alternative ways of communicating that because, um, you know, most of the people that I work with don't wanna read my dissertation, right? Yeah. They want it. I mean, I don't really want to read it either. Right. So um, so that's uh, it's, it's fair. Right. It's it's a, it's I think it's I don't I don't know that we can, you know, fault them for that. And so I think um, thinking about that ways, at least for me, um, is, is a really important part towards um, sort of improving practice. And so thinking about what are those outlets and then also what that means for sort of encouraging people to utilize them, I think is um, is, is really fundamental.
0: And the way we make sense of the world is through stories, right? And that isn't always coming through in our, the way we write in um, an academic setting in a kind of bubble for a certain intellectual audience.
2: Yeah. And I think another part of that, um, I totally agree, is also that, um, you know, there's obviously, as you point out, there's a certain sort of rigor that we follow in the research that we conduct, in the way that we publish. but again, is that giving, telling the whole story and giving the information that is needed, um, particularly around, um, like I find something that's often very missing is um, stories of things that went wrong, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't often talk about um, the failed projects or, you know, kind of using that as a learning tool. Um, and that gets into sort of, I think, a whole other space around whether or not, you um, groups that are doing this work really want to disclose any sort of failure is a whole thing to sort of talk about and how we can really get to the bottom of uh, what's really working um, if we can't fully have that conversation but at least using these sort of narratives and stories gives us an opportunity to look at these other parts of uh, the pie that are potentially missing by you know, just sort of doing these controlled experiments, which tell us something, um, but maybe not everything about the actionable or the practice sorts of things that need to to be learned from that project or that activity.
0: And if we think about science more broadly, shouldn't that be what science is trying to achieve? Like, I tried this thing and failed. Yay, we know that doesn't work.
2: Yeah, I would say yes. But um, again loaded question right you know so I think that that I think there's this whole um uh I think I think that it would you know be so amazing for all of us to be able to have you know a conversation about not just this work right everything in science of just sort of a support group of yeah this failed and this is how we can collectively learn I would yeah. I would almost be would imagine that this would sort of be how we would um, improve science at a quicker rate, right? Or yeah. make bigger changes to be able to um, openly have these dialogues about those sorts of things. I mean, I think there's these sort of obvious uh, hurdles to do these sorts of things around, um, you know, what people, what are sort of calls to engage in research and actively publish and sort of mm-hmm. what we me- measure. Our metrics for success in science, I think, often limit um, those sorts of open conversations. So I think that there's there's sort of this tug and pull between really knowing what we need to sort of sort of push the dial a little bit further um, and having these um, very structural constraints on being able to do that. Um, and so, so, so I totally agree,
1: <laughs> but you know, there's actually a really interesting um, Twitter feed. It's called wash failures. So there are a couple of people. So Danny Barrington and Becky Sindel, whom, you know, Jason and I both know. So they've been pushing for talking about failures in water and sanitation um, sector. And they've written a manifesto, and it's really quite fascinating. So you know, it's not just disaster problem; it's for everyone, I think, and science generally that we don't talk about failures. We want to hide behind our successes.
2: Oh yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And also just just the fact that I mean, you know, especially I'm glad that you kind of pointed out the larger sort of context because yes, definitely, if you're working um, particularly in the development space all the time, you know, you'll be in a community, and you know, it's it's just sort of, um, you know, some areas might have these sort of sea of failed projects right and you see i see this a lot also too on the engineering side that i work on i'm um, so looking a lot at um sort of the impacts of projects that engineers do in these spaces um and so you will see um yeah uh you mentioning wash um is i think an area where there are a lot of these attempts to sort of do different sorts of innovations and projects um and you know i've met with community members where they can kind of point throughout um their areas of oh, that was where this organization came and that was just sort of left there. And, you know, they can point to another area where there were an attempt by somebody else was came, came um, or, you know, several different organizations that have been in the same spot, um, you know, trying different sort of attempts towards better building practices, you know, same thing applies. Um, and so you see, again, things that you often see when you're in the field or when you're sort of carrying them out. Um, But I don't know that we always do a great job of translating that back up the line to what that means for what type of work we need to be encouraging, right? Maybe it's not always just a new design. It can be sort of being reflective on what's happened in the past.
1: Yeah, i think it's going back to the participation again isn't it very often we introduce solutions which we don't really consider local population local context how they would use that those solutions they, they work from our perspective but they don't work from anybody else um, i suppose that's part of the problem but you know talking of participation and wider context you've worked quite a lot globally so you worked in haiti and the us and mexico and indonesia um, so how how and why have you become so passionate about participation you know can i can you tell us some funny exciting stories
2: <laughs> you know for me it's funny because you know thinking about participation and hazards and development context is something i've been focused on or anyone that's sort of close to me might say sort of obsessed with for um quite a while <laughs> And um, and so for me, my first so um, as you mentioned, so I started as in engineering. Um, I was a structural engineer, and so I did a lot of work um, from that perspective, looking much more at um, sort of more technical solutions, um, looking at sort of applied, particularly around um, housing and housing reconstructions. And so one of my first experiences was working with a nonprofit organization doing housing and construction work in Indonesia after the East Indian Ocean tsunami and you know that organization placed like um, really high importance in training and sort of involving community members and almost all the aspects of their work and so I learned a lot about what you know deep levels of participation look like from an organ- organizational perspective um, when I had you know that experience and so um, you know, in practice, what that looks like working in the field, also, you know, what that meant for training and employment opportunities for community members, Um, and then also just sort of achieving development goals and objectives, like how that all sort of fit together. And so that was, you know, like a really great experience. It was very impactful for my life. Um, But (laughs) the funny part was like what was potentially more impactful for me was when I left, you know, I later spent time with a different, you know, different organization working also on recovery projects, you know, in similar contexts, um, and the approaches that I saw were so vastly different, right? And so their efforts towards participation were, you know, very much more closely resembled, like the token checkbox approaches that we were, you know, we talked a lot about. Um, in some instances, it didn't exist at all, right? But they still talked about it in the <laughs> exact same way. And so um, I think, you know, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking for me, obviously, but um, the and, you know, one of the saddest parts of, of all of this was that the impacts of their work, um, you know, you, it was, it really was unclear, right? And so there was, it was missing this huge dimension, um, that, um, I had sort of taken for granted in the first experience. And so it was really unsettling for me to see the different ways people were approaching the exact same problem potentially, um, and particularly about how seriously they took, um, involving the local community. And so, so for me, so seeing the great positive approach and impact was really important, but I actually sort of think the most, mm-hmm. um, the, the part that I probably took with me and learned the most and sort of has guided a lot of what I've done since then, um, has really been seeing these really not great models. And so, you know, my passion, I think in some ways is driven from, I hate to say it from the negative side, but, um, really trying to be motivated to think about how we can better understand and improve those efforts. I have yet to see some good examples of where it was sort of pasted on as an afterthought and was done really well, right? You know, and so, I mean, you know, maybe we'll find someone out there who can prove us wrong, but, you know, it's it's usually pretty obvious, you know, when, you know, and again, I think it goes back to that question about the intentionality. That's where we kind of get into some of these potentially deceptive and different ways that we might be using it. Are we just saying that we're doing participation because um, whatever grant that we're applying to, whatever, um, you know, funder that we have to report to afterwards? Oftentimes now, you know, because of that whole language conversation that we had, those things are required. And so um, are we just doing it because we will not get access to that money? if we don't say that we did something and so here we go, we did it. Um, or is it ingrained in the process and is it, you know, is it fundamental to what we're trying to achieve, having a community that's more empowered, having a community that can have long-term success because we did
0: that.
1: Right. So, well, I think we can keep talking about the participation for for, for hours. This is really difficult and really interesting. So thank you so much, Santina, for sharing your thoughts with us and for kind of unpacking the idea of narrative and participation today.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Santina, for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: You've been listening to me, Santina Conchairs, Jason and Casenia on Disasters
1: You Constructed Podcasts.